Um, my name's Becky. I've been coming to the Oak for quite a few years now. Um, it's been a while since I've stood at the front, and there's lots of new faces, so it's lovely to see you all here this morning. And we are continuing our series on uh, the letters that Peter wrote to uh, the church, and we've moved on to Second Peter. And so when we, we're reading about this, um, this letter from Peter is to the believers. He has um, shared the gospel with these believers. They've heard it, they've accepted it, and they are seeking to live by it. And yet within that community, false teachers are beginning to start to sow seeds of doubt and questions. They're beginning to subtly undermine the faith, and they're particularly beginning to question this idea that Jesus was going to come again. It hadn't happened. Is it going to happen? And people are beginning to listen to these lies, and there is danger that they're going to lose their faith and walk away. And so in today's passage that we're going to read, Peter reminds the believers of his own eyewitness account of Jesus and the trustworthiness of Scripture as two sources of his evidence of why they need to keep holding on. So let's read the passage. I'm just going here. It'll be on the screen behind me. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12, and we're going through to 21. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's just pray really quickly again. Father God, I thank you that your word is living and active and that you are here this morning by your spirit. You have something to say to us. Lord, may we have open hearts to hear your voice. Lead us, we pray. Amen. So we'll look at the first section, verses 12. It says, So I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort to ensure that after my departure you will always remember these things. How easy is it for us to forget the things that we know and believe? To let everyday busyness crowd out God or to allow the prevailing culture and around us to seep into our thoughts? Maybe sway the ways we think. Or perhaps we've been Christians for a long time and we've let the familiarity of the Bible lose its power. 
Peter is not telling the readers anything new, but reminding them of what they believed and what they've already heard, and encouraging them to remain firmly established in the truth. The truths Peter is referring to here are the ones that we looked at last week um, that Graham reminded us of us. And if you weren't here, I'd ask you to go back and listen to that. It was really good. It was worth a listen. Um, There is a sense of urgency in Peter's writing. We read in 13 and 14 here that Peter is soon expecting to die, to put off the tent of this body. Peter is a man on a time limit. He was writing his letter from prison and he was awaiting execution by the Romans who were known for their brutality. Peter was awaiting a painful and unjust death. And in these circumstances, we would forgive Peter for wanting to spend time with his family or put every effort into defending his innocence or wallowing in self-pity. Yet his primary focus is not himself or his circumstances. Instead, he is making every effort to ensure that the believers would remember and hold on to the truth. Do we have that same sense of urgency and priority in our lives? To remind people and point people to Jesus, to the truth we know. Peter is facing his death, and rather than giving up, he uses his knowledge to write his last letter, to exhort believers to remain firmly established in the truth, drawing from his own story and the scriptures. So we'll move on to the next section, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about our coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. In presenting the gospel to the believers, the Peter and the apostles had not used cleverly devised stories or argument. In some translations, the word myths is used here. They simply told those that were listening what they'd seen, what they'd heard, what they'd experienced, and these people had accepted the gospel. Peter here is specifically drawing on his experience in the transfiguration, which we can read about in Matthew. I'll just read it through quickly now. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good we are here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, and I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, because... But then Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. During this incredible event, both in what is seen and heard, Jesus is shown as God's son. Jesus' face shines like the sun and his clothes are as white as light. We read throughout the Bible that God is light and that Jesus is the light. The voice from heaven confirms this. Jesus is God's son. Furthermore, Jesus is seen as a fulfillment of the Old Testament law and prophets through the appearance of Moses and Elijah. Peter is so blown away by what he sees, he responds in a very typical Peter manner. Full of good intention and a bit rash and over-enthusiastic, he offers to build tents. And it's easy to mock Peter here and think, what a bit of a wally to say something like that. 
But in his defense, it's not normal to see your friend transfigured and then to be joined with long dead ancient prophets. I don't know if that's happened to you, but it's not an everyday occurrence. And saying something a little bit silly in shock is totally forgivable. I once declared an iceberg felt cold when I touched it. Not earth shattering and I looked a bit stupid, but I was just a bit overcome and overexcited. Peter draws on his own experience, his own story to encourage others in their faith. Stories are incredibly powerful and we all have them. And I wonder, what's your story? Where is Jesus at work in your life? It may not be as dramatic as Peter's experience on the mountaintop, but maybe there are answers to prayers or miraculous provisions. Maybe you've experienced healing or have felt a tangible sense of God's peace in difficult times. For, thus, for those of us who know and love Jesus, we all have stories. When we tell our story about how Jesus has been at work in our lives, we are pointing others to him. So what's yours? And I love what Jack has just brought about next Saturday. Maybe that's an opportunity for us to be sharing our story with these people we're going to encounter. Maybe it's worth spending time reflecting on where's God been at work in your life and chatting with your life group or your friends. But I must be honest and let you know this isn't something I find actually very easy. As a young girl brought up in a Christian family, I had a view that evangelism, which is a posh word for telling people about Jesus, was for professional Christians who were particularly spiritual and eloquent. But we are all called to tell others about Jesus. It can be easier said than done. So what are some of the challenges in sharing our faith and our story and how can we go about doing this? I think a common barrier in sharing our, our story is fear fear of rejection or ridicule. But Timothy writes in his, story, in his letter that we are given a spirit of boldness, not timidity. I also think it's helpful to remember, again, something that Jack has just pointed out, that um, we are not responsible for how people react to our story. It is God who causes faith to grow. We are called to plant seeds and to water them, but God causes them to grow. So while we can plant a seed and introduce someone to Jesus, God will cause that faith to develop. It takes the pressure off. I can share my story and point someone to Jesus, but it's not up to me how they react. We are called to plant and water only. God wants to use us. It's also important to recognize that sometimes previous failings hold us back from trying again. There may have been times when you shared your, sport, your story or spoke of Jesus to someone and you didn't get it quite right or they responded badly to you and they walked away. This can be incredibly painful to see and can also really hamper our own confidence in God's desire to use us. But if we look at Peter's example in the gospel, we see a man who goes from denying Jesus to being forgiven during breakfast on a beach recommissioned and then becoming a powerful force in the early church. You may have got it wrong in the past or seen your attempts at witnessing for Jesus go nowhere or end in rejection, but that does not mean God has finished with you yet. And central to any of our stories should be Jesus. Peter does not tell the transfiguration to big himself up, and in fact he doesn't look that great in the process. But he does so because it points to Jesus. When sharing our stories, we need to point to Jesus. I have a friend who says, if I tell you a story about me, you are just left with me. But if I tell you a story about Jesus, I leave you with Jesus. 
I think we all put pressure on ourselves to have all the answers before sharing with others as well. But we can see again from Peter's example, he didn't use cleverly constructed arguments and instead simply spoke of what he had seen and experienced. Even within this story of the transfiguration, Peter didn't get it totally right. He didn't fully understand what's going on. Going on. He offered to build tents. And we also need to remember that telling our stories does not have to be polished and perfectly presented oracle. It should just be nice and simple, part of everyday conversation. It can be a simple reflection on your experience of God's love and part of everyday conversations, like I said. So last week, I was having my hair cut, and my hairdresser was telling me about some of the anxieties she was experiencing and the strategies she was developing to try and address them. And I was just sat there, and I had a sense that maybe God wanted to say something, and so I took a deep breath, and I just shared with her, and I said, when I feel worried, um, I pray, because the Bible tells us that we can cast all our anxieties in God, and we can know his peace. She asked me if it worked. I said, well, yeah, it does. Maybe you could try it. She then changed the subject. <laughs> and nothing may ever come of that conversation. But I felt prompted to share something of my story. And sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap to think that your story is insignificant. It's not interesting enough. Who are you? But how can that be? How can your life be insignificant when Jesus, God's own son, came to earth as a baby and died for you. He rose again so you have a place in eternity with him. God, the awesome creator of the universe, knows you, loves you, and pursued you. And that's a story worth sharing. That's a story our family, our friends, our community, and our nation need to hear. Every story of God drawing people to himself is miraculous and powerful. Whether that be a grand dramatic conversion or a steady journey of discovery over years or months, or whether it's just those everyday little breakthroughs of God coming to you in your life, every story is wonderful. But despite the deep conviction Peter has in his own story, the transfiguration, he recognises that some may still be a bit unconvinced. And so he points to the Old Testament scriptures as even stronger evidence for the gospel. So verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The prophetic message that Peter is talking about here is the Old Testament. And today we also now have the New Testament, which along with the Old Testament makes up the Bible. The word prophetic or prophecy is, basically means a message from God. And the prophets were those who brought God's message to the people. And Peter is taking great pains to remind the readers that the prophetic message or God's word is completely reliable. Why? Because while it was written by humans... It's not merely their own ideas, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Similarly, Timothy wrote in his second letter that all scripture is God-breathed. God's spirit is at work in the prophets of the Old Testament, pointing to God's sovereignty and rule, and is ultimately seen through the coming and the saving work of the Messiah. Today is Palm Sunday, 
And um, I found myself this week wondering why Jesus chose to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. Jesus had been to Jerusalem many times before during his life, but on this last time, instead of walking into the city, he chose to ride a donkey. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of a donkey, I don't think of many complimentary things. They seem a bit slow, not very exciting, and they make ridiculous loud braying noises. These are some of the images I have when I think of a donkey. We've got donkey from Shrek and Eeyore. I didn't put the picture of the donkey that I rode in Western Supermare as a small child called Sudi. Um, but those are the sorts of images of a donkey I have. But donkeys were used in biblical times in the royal courts, and kings would ride them. They would ride them when they came in peace. If a king was on the warpath, he would ride a horse. If he was coming in peace, he would ride a donkey. Jesus chose his humble animal to make his entrance into Jerusalem. And what started off as me just wondering, why would he choose that, led me to the prophecy that we find in Zechariah. that says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. As inspired by the Holy Spirit, the scriptures point to Jesus hundreds of years before he was on on earth. And given that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter argues they are totally reliable like a light shining in the darkness. I wonder, have you ever been in true, true darkness? Maybe you've got away from the city, you've got into the countryside, away from all the lights. And you look up, and have you noticed how brightly the, the stars will shine in the dark? I used to live in the Sahara Desert and there was no mains electricity and very little entertainment. So going in the cool evening outside and looking up was one of the best ways of spending an evening. The night was incredibly beautiful. And those stars and moons shone so brightly, often I wouldn't need a torch to walk around with. We live in a dark world, a place where people do not know God's love, who live according to their own rules, where people are hurt, they're abused, they're struggling, they're lonely, people are fleeing war. But in the darkness, the psalmist writes, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. When we don't know the way forward, where we are unsure, hurt, confused, where we can feel disorientated and lost, God's word is a lamp to give us direction and a firm foundation. God's word tells us who he is and who we are. God's word is certain and true. There are many verses I could pick here, but here are just some of the truths we read about in the Bible. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Psalm 116. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's in Romans. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. In Jeremiah. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any, any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This book, the Bible, is full of promises of God. And Peter encourages his readers to pay attention to them. Paying attention doesn't just mean reading the God, the God's word passively, but to engage with it, explore it. Sometimes this means wrestling with it and working through tricky passages. And this is a really good place for where life groups can come in. I have to say that on my first reading, verse 19 really confused me. It's, it talks of the day dawning and the morning star rising in your sun. I had no idea what he was talking about. 
So I did a bit of digging around and I learned that the morning star is a prophetic picture of the Messiah and the day dawning a picture of his return. In the context of refuting false teachers who are discrediting Jesus' second return, Peter is minding his readers that Christ will return. He will establish his kingdom. But in the meantime, they must hold on and pay attention to the prophetic word. God's word is extremely powerful and is living and active. And this means that God's word has something to say every time you read it. As I was preparing for this morning, I felt challenged to tell you something of my story. I've been talking about sharing stories. But also how God's word has spoken to me. And I'm going to keep it quite brief because this isn't necessarily an easy one for me to tell. But I'm going to try. I've got Ellie in the slips just in case. (laughs) Um, Just under two two years ago, my mum, who I was extremely close to, was um, given the devastating diagnosis of aggressive and terminal cancer. The pain is still indescribable. But during this time, Psalm 23 spoke to me in a way that it had never done before. I'd always known it as one of those psalms that was brought out at funerals or, or, or read at the sick, sick bed. But I'd never realised the power of the words until I found myself walking with my mum in the darkest valley. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My mum had always had a very strong faith, and this shone out of her during this time. There were times when I was sat with her and she didn't know I was there, and I heard some of her prayers, and they blew me away. Her faith in her father was so sure. There is no way she could have said those words without knowing that her shepherd was walking beside her, guiding her, protecting her, carrying her, and bringing her comfort. During the days, weeks, and months that have followed, I have had many questions and many dark hours. But in the pain, I have known God's gentleness in leading me as well. My son Joshua has a book of a children's version of Psalm 23, which says... Inside my heart is very quiet, and that's what I've experienced. During the hardest time of my life, somehow, inside my heart, it has been very quiet. Peter was passionate in his love for Jesus, and this comes across in this passage. His love for Jesus, his belief in the world-changing power of Christ, and the power of God's word. Peter's deepest desire is to see those who also love Christ to keep walking in his ways all the days of their lives and not to be deceived and not to be led astray. As Peter sits in prison awaiting his upcoming death, he tells his own story of the transfiguration and draws on the certainty of the scriptures to try and convince his readers to hold on to the truths they already know. It may be that you are sitting here this morning and you are tempted to walk away. Maybe there are questions you have about God or in the Bible that are just too hard. Perhaps you are feeling challenged to, cha- to share your story or to maybe stop and reflect, where is God at work in my life? 
how can I share this with others? Or is it that you've tried sharing your story and it's not gone well, and now you're feeling a bit unsure and a bit battered and questioning whether God can use you again? Or maybe you're wanting to get more into God's word and really engage with it and grapple with it. Or maybe you are struggling with a diagnosis or you're walking the path of grief. We read today that one day that we, we know there will one day be a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no tears and there'll be no mourning. But we're not there yet. But Jesus does promise comfort for those who mourn. So in the pain and in the tears and in the mourning, may, may you know God's comfort. But wherever we find ourselves in, in this morning, in some of those options I've just spoken about, or maybe there's something else that's really just been placed on your heart and is really causing you to think and mull over, I would encourage you, as Peter encouraged his original readers, to remember the truths and the gospel you first believed. Remember how God has shown himself to you before. Remember how God has shown his love for you in the scriptures and through sending his son Jesus as your saviour. And may we all know that God's light until he comes again. So I'm going to ask um, Graham to come up and we'll just pray. Father God, I just thank you so much that you are with us, that you sent Jesus as our saviour. That wherever we find ourselves this morning, whether we have got questions that we're really struggling with, whether we're seeking to share our love for you and who you are with others, whether we're wrestling with pain of fear and rejection when we've tried to do that before, whether we're feeling scared and lonely as we walk a really difficult path of, an, of a diagnosis or in grief. Wherever we're at, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you know that you have something to say to us this morning. Thank you that you are our redeeming saviour. And you have got so much grace and love and comfort and compassion for us. Lead us, I pray. Holy Spirit, be at work in our lives, I pray. Amen.